Hi, Nexters. I'm your host, Khan Panar, and you're listening to Next Topic, a podcast where we discuss tomorrow, today. These days, we are all anxious about contracting COVID-19 from any surface we come in contact with. Some of us even use hand sanitizer after every single thing we touch. So in this chaos, how will we reach some semblance of normality? We'll find out the answer in this episode as biotech entrepreneur Julia Pang lays down the latest facts on how long the coronavirus lasts on various surfaces talks about her work on creating a long-lasting antiviral coating as the co-founder and CEO of Vivovax. Thank you, Khan. Um, thanks, guys, for um, being online with me here. I'm really excited, um, especially after this, um, the previous um, speakers here. So um, what I'll be talking about today for this, um, this lightning round is about something I guess everyone has sort of asked questions um, to me about over the course of the uh, previous uh, few weeks, which is about surface transmission and infection of COVID-19. So um, if someone sneezes on a surface, like at the grocery store, and then you come, you're picking up fruits, um, and then you touch the surface that has that droplet transmission on it, and then you go and touch your face, you know, how viable is it? What's um, what's actually real? What's um, sort of fear-mongering? Um, I would like to say that the data in this presentation is current as of today. So because this is an evolving situation, um, uh, what we know about the situation might change as we learn more. So um, as you guys know, this is something that is currently worldwide. Um, an incredibly severe situation. Um, what we've also seen so far is um, that the uh, virus itself, um, we've gotten different strains of it. Um, with every time, every time it replicates, you can have um, a new version of it. Um, this is from Nextstrain. I won't be focusing so much on this talk on the actual um, genetics of it. Um, rather, it'll be something that is more applied and probably a bit more um, relevant to daily life for most of the people on the planet. So this all started, I think, back in about February when I began to see some um, anecdotes on my Facebook feed about people um, covering their surfaces of, for example, their doorknobs, different um, handles, refrigerator handles, et cetera, and common high-touch surfaces with things like uh, copper um, tape with different kinds of foil. Um, and it all of a sudden it kind of just blew up. Um, and what we do as a company is we create different types of surface coatings for a variety of different industries. So far, we're um, working with pharmaceutical packaging and pharmaceutical glass. Um, and this is something that we've actually been working on for the past year and um, had to kind of fast track because of everything that's been going on. So I'd like to go through an overview of what actually is real about surface transmission, what is otherwise known as fomite transmission. I think one of the previous doctors that was on a previous panel mentioned this briefly, um, and then go over uh, how it's spread and kind of how it works. So this is um, a pretty well-known article right now, um, as of now, the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, I just wanted to quickly go over this. Um, they found that the novel coronavirus can last on surfaces for um, varying amounts of time and on air, in air for up to three hours. So um, this is something that kind of um, I'm sure you guys have all heard about. And out of this came a few um, alarming and fear-mongering headlines on this type of transmission, specifically um, headline news saying, oh, you know, you can, we can, um, it can still be transmitted after seven days after passengers have left. Um, it lasts on surfaces a lot longer than we thought. And I think a lot of people um, became scared of this. Um, this is 
probably not accurate. You can detect traces of RNA on um, different types of surfaces that won't mean it would actually be infective. Um, Infection prevention is actually an entire uh, division at a lot of hospitals. Um, there's a whole division dedicated specifically and facilities management dedicated specifically to types of disinfectants, ways that you clean and sterilize different types of things. And this is something that falls under that division. So a bit of background on what uh, what this whole situation is. So there are several common human coronaviruses. Um, a number of them actually don't do anything worse than cause um, the common cold. And then if you're immunocompromised or um, it, it, you can get pneumonia from it, especially if you have co-infection. And most of the transmission is through droplet respiration. So um, different coughs, it can um, stay in the air, um, especially if you're in a space with someone who does have um, the illness, as well as with different kinds of surface transmission. Um, the notable ones right now, um, SARS-CoV-1 in 2003, um, transmission from different animals, and then MERS back in uh, 2012. So it, for hospital-associated infections, um, surface contamination is actually a um, very important area for um, operators of a hospital to know about. So while these types of studies um, are difficult to establish the direct cause, so for example, oh, um, you can't really trace the beginnings of um, someone being uh infected with this to one surface they touched. Um, there is a general association and it's pretty strong between improved disinfection measures and containment of outbreaks. So this can be due to um, continuous recontamination of surfaces, which are then touched. Um, this You see this with MRSA, um, a common hospital acquired infection, certain neuroviruses, et cetera. Um, and it is difficult to, to determine, but the link can be there. There are also um, different cleaning agents, um, and there is a list by the CDC, EPA, FDA, Health Canada, et cetera, that is um, approved for use specifically because it can combat SARS-CoV-2 specifically. Um, in um, various journals in the past where we've um, looked into uh, contaminated surfaces, um, we found that not all of the cleaning agents actually are completely effective, even though they do reduce transmission um, significantly. So let's talk about SARS-CoV-2 specifically. Um, this is, um, as of data current to today, um, what we currently know about it, um, from not from just media uh, articles, but from actual papers, is that the virus is highly stable at um, four degrees Celsius. So um, if you keep something in a fridge, for example, it'll last longer. Um, this is pretty general for most um, things, and but it is sensitive to heat. So this is why you've seen um, some articles or news about how um, hospitals are having people maybe, um, you know, bake uh, a face mask, for example, for a certain amount of time in an oven to sterilize it. And um, pharmaceutical depowerogenation processes at like 200, 250 degrees is an industry standard technique to um, disinfect, especially with pharmaceutical packaging. Um, it is stable in a wide range of pH values at room temperature. It tends to be more stable on smooth surfaces, and it is pretty similar in terms of its stability, half-life, etc., um, to the 2003 SARS-CoV-1. Um, it, per, it can persist on stainless steel and plastic the longest. So the half-life would be about six hours on stainless steel and almost seven hours on plastic. Um, and then depending on the amount um, that is on the surface to begin with, um, that can be longer or shorter, depending on humidity, depending on the temperature. So the results of the um, New England Journal of Medicine did uh, conclude that Fomite transmission is in fact plausible and it does tend to be um, in line with what we've seen in previous 
um, you know, hospital specific outbreaks in the past. In terms of um, just an a, a overview of um, one of the more milder versions of a human coronavirus in the past, what they found is that um, you can you can have um, the con you can have something persist on the surfaces for up to four days. Um, now, of course, this this study was done back in 2015. But what they did do is they did a study where um, you can have the virus on specific surfaces that might be different. So instead of having something on steel, if you coat it with, for example, copper, you can actually um, destroy the virus particles themselves. So this graph here kind of shows um, at 10 minutes with stainless steel exposure, the virus, um, this is through TM images, um, is still intact. But after um, 10 minutes on a different surface, on copper, um, the virus particles start to disintegrate. And if you get all the way up to, if you continue to, um, you know, take images up to 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, four hours, then you can have, um, you can see the damage to the surface of the virus itself. So this is just something that says, even though it does persist on surfaces, it's a different amount of times. What we do have in place right now is different kinds of biocidal agents that can rapidly inactivate this, um, not just like SARS-CoV-2 right now, but also all types of different viruses. So um, you can see that um, if you have persistence of, you know, 48 hours, you can reduce that to maybe like 30 minutes, five minutes by different kinds of biocidal agents. The um, complex part about biocidal agents, such as Lysol, different kinds of disinfecting sprays, um, you can do like 70% um, ethanol, for example, is what's commonly used, um, is you have to keep uh, you have to keep spraying it, and the upkeep is a, is a significant burden for hospitals as well. Um, what you can do to prolong um, the disinfection process, so if you were a facilities management company right now, what you would do if, say, for example, one of your clients at the, a, one of your clients, a hospital called you up and said, we need you to disinfect, um, what you would do is you go in, you clean up the surfaces, you do your disinfection process, um, and but the disinfection only lasts to that moment. Um, so different surfaces have been shown in the past to inactivate um, over an amount of time. So there are certain materials that do uh, kind of destroy the um, virus um, in a shorter amount of time. So these are things which it's mostly metal nanoparticles and different kinds of metal surfaces. Um, 40 minutes on brass, um, 120 minutes on copper, etc. Um, this actually has been validated, not just through um, lab where you, you know, you spray some like virus onto something and then take um, different kinds of um, like platforming units, et cetera, afterwards. But um, in hospitals in the past where copper has been used at, um, more frequently in services before the newer materials starting in the 1960s, 70s, et cetera, became more popular. So things like plastics and some of the newer metals that are smoother. Um, they did notice that hospital-acquired infections actually were reduced by as much as 50% in hospitals where they had things like copper toilets um, and a larger amount of copper services. Okay, so that all being said, um, where does this all fit in? So we've been hit um, in the past three months with an immediate uh, response um, and emergency uh, phase of this pandemic. Now what the conversation has started to shift to is, okay, how do we transition society um, people are saying back to normal but it's it's going to be a new normal um, some of the 
kinds of practices and habits that we've developed over the past uh, month in social isolation are probably there to stay. And the technologies, the newer technologies will be very sticky going forward. Um, So as economies reopen and people want to go back to work, what is kind of our strategy around this? So I know that um, previously, I think um, Jacob and Sarah talked about different kinds of vaccine development. There are um, people are talking about um, like a pan coronavirus vaccine in the future, um, different kinds of antiviral drugs. Right now, mostly it's repurposing, um, but you can have broad spectrum antiviral drugs being developed as well. And if we had had funding for things like this beforehand, um, prior to this, uh, things may be a bit different, but um, it is what it is now. We work in the infection prevention uh, aspect of this. The other, um, the other players on board with this are, you know, you have digital technologies like um, contact tracing, additional testing, and then there's the entire healthcare infrastructure and policy aspect of it. So um, we, uh, a bit of background about us, we're um, a biomaterials company based in Toronto. We do some biopharma work. So um, previously to this, what we've done in the past is injectable formulations for um, stabilization of different kinds of antibodies, biologics, and vaccines. We also have a surface coatings branch, which is where this antiviral coating um, is being developed from. And um, just a shout out to the, uh, the development team that has worked really hard on this technology over the past um, few months, especially. So our work as a biomaterials company, what we do is one approach to surface contamination transmission response. Um, it's a virucidal coating that is that works for most high-touch surfaces. So things like hospital, um, you know, doorknobs, um, amusement parks, different kinds of uh, like subway uh, handles, et cetera, things like that. A lot of high touch surfaces are where you can get the fomite transmission. So it's something where it's like an antimicrobial virucidal coating. I would like to note that um, these technologies are not completely novel. Antimicrobial coatings is a very heavily saturated market. Um, However, with this pandemic, I think there is a more increased need for um, different kinds of technologies that can combat um, fomite transmission. So there are a lot of um, interesting technologies out there, not exactly similar to our product, but there. Um, I do want to give a shout out to other companies, big and small, working in this space. Um, Microband is actually one thing, uh, a product that I've used um, just m- myself personally. Um, they've come out in the past two months with um, a spray that you can uh, prolong the disinfecting process up, uh, in the 24 hours afterwards. I know that Nippon Paint and Cording have already developed um, a antivirus um, paint um, and then there are all obviously the disinfectants that are actually being used are not uh, permanent coatings, but are rather um, ones that you can spray. So um, I also um, that kind of concludes most of the surface transmission and um, that aspect of my presentation. I do want to, in the last, I guess, um, few minutes, talk a bit about the current vaccine landscape, because I think this is pretty um, valuable and useful to know. This is from the World Vaccine Congress that was ironically um, cancelled physically and became a virtual conference um, that shows you the stages of various uh, vaccine development landscape. Um, as we've all heard of uh, Moderna um, with their mRNA vaccine um, they've been working a lot on this, Anovio, et cetera. Um, I've highlighted some of the big um, pharmaceutical companies also that are working on what kind of vaccine it is and where they are along um, in the process. So, for example, Johnson & Johnson with Barda, um, that was something from their Ebola vaccine that they're transitioning to, um, to battle COVID. In terms of vaccine and therapeutics, there are some other um, 
small molecule drugs, there are some combination therapies being used, um, monoclonal antibodies. So this kind of gives an overview of what phase we're at with that. Um, People have been very, um, have tried to be very optimistic about this. Um, I don't think it's going to, a vaccine is going to be here for another 18 months at least. Um, And in the meantime, it's what are we doing with um, trying to transition to a new normal and how do we continue to live our lives with this pandemic um, ongoing? Um, We might get different waves in the future, for example. Um, And just as a last note, if you want to read more or be updated on some industry news and daily email newsletters, are these are some of the favorite ones that I would really highly recommend. Um, the Fierce, uh, Fierce Health Care, I think, has a coronavirus virtual series now available. Um, and then there are uh, two, Nature has a really good landscape on companies and types of vaccines that they update, as well as I would really highly recommend um, Vincent, he's a virology professor at Columbia University. He has a great virology blog. Um, his newest article is about how we could have prevented um, this from happening if we had the funding and research to develop broad range antiviral drugs and small molecules or a pan COVID vaccine um, with, you know, there are conserved um, epitope, um, epitopes and other types of things that we could have done beforehand. Um, but just if you want to read more and be updated. And with that, uh, that is the end of my talk. And I'm, if there are any time for questions, I'm happy to answer.